All right, hey, in this series, we've been kind of traveling, walking through 1 Kings, and so far we've been in chapter 18 and 19. Today, we're going to spend most of our time in chapter 21, and then next week, the story is going to continue. We're going to kind of turn the page and get into the first part of 2 Kings. So our reading today, then, is the first seven verses of chapter 21. Sometime later, there was an incident that's a nice way of putting it. There was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard, or if you prepare, I will pay you whatever it's worth. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. He lay on his bed sulking and he refused to eat. His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered her, because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said, is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. This is God's word. Oh, God's grace, his mercy, and his peace to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I love this prayer. It's one of my all-time favorites. It is, thank you, God, for this good life, and forgive me when I do not love it enough. Boy, that's one that we need to learn and repeat it often. We need it, don't we? Oh, the places you'll go, and today we are going into a most miserable situation involving a vineyard, a discontented king and his wicked wife. We've already met them before in the past two weeks, but here they are again. It is a terrible story that goes from bad to worse. Now, I assure you that we are going to take a quick stroll through that deadly place, but I want to start out on a more positive note. And so let me offer this parable by author John Ortberg. Once upon a time, there was a young girl whose parents took her to McDonald's. There, she saw an opportunity to buy a combination of food and a little plastic toy that someone in a fit of marketing genius named the Happy Meal. My habit, please, she asked her parents. I must have it. I don't think I can live without it. No, her parents told her. The toy is a trivial little thing that just enabled the price of this package to be raised beyond what it's really worth. But you don't understand, she thought. She knew that they would not just be buying fries and a plastic dinosaur and McNuggets. And everyone loves McNuggets, right, kids? Got the code word, McNuggets? Okay. Well, the little girl knew that it was more than just a meal and a toy her parents would be buying happiness. So she explained, I want that happy meal more than anything I've ever wanted before. And if I get it, I'll never ask for anything ever again. 
No more complaining. No more demanding. If you get me that Happy Meal, I'll be content for the rest of my life. Well, this seemed like a pretty good deal to her parents, so they bought it, and it worked. She grew up to be a contented, grateful, joyful woman. She lived with serenity and grace. Now, her life in many ways was very hard. The man she married turned out to be a louse, and he abandoned her with three small children and no money. The kids, too, were a disappointment. They dropped out of school, sponged off her meager resources, and eventually left without a trace. When she was an old woman, Social Security gave out, and she had to live from hand to mouth. But she never complained, because she had gotten the Happy Meal. She would think of it often. I remember that Happy Meal, she'd say to herself. What great joy I found there, just as she predicted. It brought her lasting satisfaction, and she was grateful for the rest of her life. The end. Hey, you're smiling. Me too. Why? Because we know better. Life doesn't work that way at all. We know that happy meals wear off, and that's why we keep buying them again and again and again. And the older you get, the more expensive the happy meals are. They come in the forms of houses and cars and phones, and I could go on and on and on because it does go on and on and on. All day long, we are bombarded with messages that take us on a strange journey. The commercials tell us to be discontent. Our current stuff isn't good enough. It's too old, too faded, too slow, too clunky, and then they offer the solution. Buy this, get that, try this on for size, and all your problems will be solved. Until next year, when a bigger, faster, brighter, better version of it comes out. What you got ain't good enough. And we buy into that. And so we get what we think we need, but it doesn't work. The happy meals don't make us happy. It's strange, really. The more that we have, the more that we want. We are perpetually discontent. And let me just call that out what it is. That is sin. Ingratitude is the sin that slaps God in the face. The Bible has so much to say to us by way of warning. Even the last two commandments of God's top 10 deal with the dangers of coveting. But I suppose there are a few people listening who might be thinking to themselves, this really ain't that big of a deal, dude. Carol House Furniture knows I like nice things. Is that a crime? It's not like murder or anything. Nah, it's, it's not a big deal. Just like a lit match isn't a big deal. Listen, suppose you spotted a flame in your house. Not a big one, not a blaze, just a little tiny tongue of flame dancing near the edge of the curtains. Tell me, are you just going to shrug your shoulders and walk away going, eh, what's the big deal? No, of course not. You would get after it. 
So let's get after it by taking a stroll through the vineyard. It's a nice vineyard, but the location could not be worse for its owner because it sits right next door to King Ahab's famous ivory vacation home. And the king wants what he ain't got. He tries to buy it from Naboth, but Naboth isn't selling. He's not going to give up his birthright, his inheritance. No deal. And so Ahab storms off, and he returns to his bedroom with a case of very sour grapes. He stamps his feet. He pouts. He refuses to eat. Now, we would never be as childish as that. We're better than that. Probably. But let's not fool ourselves. Let's see if any of the following rings a little true for you. And I'll cite from Robert Hughes' book, The Culture of Complaint. Take this inventory. I find myself bored or dissatisfied in my work because I expect it not only to pay my bills, but also to provide me with a sense of identity and significance and that is often crushed beneath the weight of my expectations. I am disappointed in my relationships. My friends or spouse or children don't meet all my emotional or intimacy needs, and I find myself growing resentful. Next, rather than losing myself in the moment, I find I get preoccupied in whether or not I am truly happy. Next, I try to escape my discontentment. I seek relief or distraction through watching TV or shopping or alcohol. Next, I lose my generosity of spirit. My initial response to events tends to be cynical or even hostile. Last one, I grow more resentful or envious of those whose circumstances seem more pleasant than mine. There you are. There he is, sullen and angry. He lay on his bed sulking. Enter Queen Jezebel. Aw, what's the matter, baby? And Abeth, he whines about Naboth's winery. Now, that's no way for a big king to act. Don't you worry about a thing, and you just leave it up to me. And she pats him on the head and hatches an evil plan. And let me just cut to the chase. Naboth is set up. The queen hires a couple of scoundrels to accuse Naboth of blasphemy. And they drag Naboth off and his sons, and they stone them to death. When Ahab heard that his problem was solved, he got up and he went down to take possession of the vineyard. Enter Elijah. God will speak through his prophets, and this is what he says, Ahab, you are a murderer and a thief. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood, yes, yours. Ahab said to Elijah, so you have found me, my enemy. I have found you, he answered because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, you're going down. You and your wife, the dogs will devour Jezebel. And if you want to keep on reading all the way through 2 Kings chapter 9, that's exactly what happened. Just like Scar at the end of The Lion King. 
thrown to the dogs. And scripture tells us that when they went to bury her, only Jezebel's skull and hands and feet remained. Gross. And it is gross. The whole thing is gross. Discontentment, envy, jealousy, false accusation, murder. It's gross. Jesus knew it. I wonder if our Lord had this story in mind when just days before his death, he told the Pharisees a similar story. It's a vineyard story. Matthew, Mark, and Luke each record it. It's called the parable of the tenants. It's about the owner, God, who sends his servants, the prophets, into his vineyard, the nation of Israel. The servants are sent to collect the harvest from the tenants, the religious rulers. But the servants who are sent are killed. Finally, the owner sends his one and only son, and they kill him too. Then Jesus asked the question, what will the owner of the vineyard do to those tenants? The end. Well, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parable, they knew that he was talking about them. And so they hatched an evil plan. And they got some scoundrels together, and they accused them of blasphemy, and then they killed them. But it wasn't the end. No, the sun rose again. Jesus lives, and for this we are happy. It was all part of God's plan. A prophet greater than Elijah had to come and spill his blood in the vineyard for your sake and my sake so that we would not get what we deserve. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for everything because we deserve the dogs. We really do. As I've been thinking about it, you know, we've got so much more than Ahab ever had. Not sure he had an ivory vacation home, but we've got so much more that he would be just absolutely jealous of. Think of it. Electricity, air conditioning, transportation, indoor plumbing, entertainment, happy meals. I could go on and on and on. We've got it all. And yet, we want more. The truth be told, we're just as dissatisfied as old Ahab. Well, thank the Lord that we do have so much more than Ahab. Because we have a Savior from our sins, and we have God's Word to lead us in the way in which we should go. The Apostle writes in 1 Timothy 6, 6, that godliness with contentment is great gain. And again, to the Philippians, Paul expressed, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Did you catch that? He said it twice. I have learned. I have learned the secret of being content. 
Apparently, contentment is not something you're born with, like red hair and green eyes. No, it's more like math or picking up a foreign language or playing the violin. It's something that we learn, and we have to keep on learning and, and practicing. Uh, contentment is so very challenging. I'm still trying to learn it, and I've been working on it a long time. Uh, let me explain with a story of my own. And this one goes back about 22 years, and it involves a long autumn day drive and a Happy Meal toy. My wife and I, we just had two young daughters at the time, and we were driving up to Chicago land to visit my parents. And it was pretty early into the 300-mile trip when I kind of began noticing how every car that passed us on the road was nicer than mine. I was driving a Ford Escort mini station wagon. It was worn out, high miles, not very fast. Kids were crowded in the back seat. No CD player, no power anything. And I was just kind of taking an inventory by doing an informal survey as the cars passed me by on Highway 55. I remember thinking to myself, their car's nicer. Their car's nicer, their car's nicer, and so is theirs, and theirs, and theirs, and it seemed like everybody had a nicer car than mine. It was quite a pity party that I was hosting for myself. And then we stopped at a McDonald's drive through in McLean, Illinois. I ordered Happy Meals for the girls, and the toy that came with the meal was a plastic chicken McNugget dressed up in a removable Frankenstein costume. Well, the costume is long gone, but here's the McNugget. A very weird prize for sure, but it sits in my office to this day. As we continued our journey and eating our fill, I kept glancing at that ridiculous chicken McNugget toy. That's when it hit me, or perhaps God hit me with this thought. Let me get this straight. You just drove up to a restaurant, ordered all that you needed, and then some. You paid for the whole thing without even thinking about it. You're driving, not walking, mind you, and stuffing your face full of fries. Look around. Take inventory. There's your wife who loves you and who totally, you outmarried, by the way, and your two beautiful, healthy daughters happily riding along inside a warm and safe vehicle, and you are so full and you are so wealthy that the lunch you bought for your children comes with toy food dressed up in a Halloween costume. This is ridiculous. You are so very rich, wealthier than 99% of the world's population, and yet you have spent your entire morning being miserable by comparing and complaining about it not being good enough. Well, I was humbled. That's one happy meal I don't ever want to forget. But the truth is, I do forget all the time. I do. You too. But if I could 
sum up what I believe might be the secret of contentment. It comes down to a three-part plan. Quit, count, and cause. One, quit comparing, because comparing kills contentment. It just does. Number two, count your blessings. Yeah, enjoy what God has given you instead of longing for what you don't have. And then I would add a third. Find a cause that's bigger than you. As long as your mission is all about you, you are going to experience one round of emptiness after another. Author Bob Goff put it well when he said, we won't be distracted by comparison if we're captivated with purpose. If we're captivated with purpose, most everything else fades into the background. The pressure to live a particular script and keep up with the Joneses gets exposed for the distraction that it really is. Look for the people around you who are suffering in some way and take one of their worries off their plate in secret. You don't need to start a new nonprofit. Just step in and relieve a little stress for someone. We won't have time to measure ourselves against one another if we fill our time scheming of ways to lift one another up. That's excellent, but I would add just one more thing, the last thing, maybe the best thing. I'll close with this. I don't know who said it, but I really like it. The greatest gift that we can give God is to live gladly because we know of his great love for us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. In his name, let's pray.